You've probably heard it all before, but this time, let Dr. Lanker connect the dots in a way that makes the Christian faith come alive. What is the gospel? And if you were asked directly, would you be able to explain it? For many of us, we've never looked at the word gospel and seen the word euangelion, which is a specialized Greek word used throughout uh, Greek history to be able to talk about a proclamation that is made that says, hey, this king has conquered. They are now offering you to be a part of their kingdom. Will you accept their rule and their reign? That word was a word that the apostles were taught by Jesus Christ and that they took on with them. And that offer to be a part of his kingdom was central to the gospel. We can go ahead and see that just if you flip a page back, or maybe you don't need to flip a page back. You can just look across the page. In the very last verse of Acts, it concludes uh, Luke's story of what Paul is doing. And in verse 30, it says, he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Paul's central message and the, the message that's accepted by these early believers is a message of, do you want to be a part of God's kingdom? Do you want to be under Jesus Christ or the word Christ there could be translated as king? Do you want to be under King Jesus? And they readily accepted this in Rome. They accepted it so much, most likely, because these are slaves. These are people who are living under a dictatorship of the Caesars of Rome, and they're longing for life to be set free, to to be healed from all the brokenness that they're experiencing. So this offer of King Jesus and to be in his kingdom sounds incredibly appealing to them. And so they accept it, but they don't understand the fullness of what they're accepting. And so Paul takes essentially chapter 1 through chapter 8 to be able to unpack that good news and to say, okay, so if you've accepted this offer to be a part of Jesus's kingdom, what comes along with that? What does that actually mean? In chapter 1, right after his intro ending in verse 17, he begins this uh, kind of diatribe, this, this ripping apart of any argument that you can have that you are a good person by starting off with the Gentiles and saying, you know what? Look at just natural law. Look at, look at the world around you. The way you guys live, it's messed up. And, and the Jews would have probably been sitting there going, yeah, yeah, the Gentiles are all screwed up. And then he takes chapter two and says, hey, no, you Jews are screwed up as well because you can't even keep the law. You can't keep the explicit instructions that are seen through kind of just general life. You, you can't keep that. So, so you're doubly damned. <laughs> like, like, who do you think you are? So then he comes to his really famous passage in chapter three that he says, there's none righteous. No, not one. There's no one who seeks for God. Because as all children of Adam and Eve, we live in natural rebellion. We believe that we are God and that we can be like him, that we can choose how to live our lives the best way for us. And if God would just sign off on that, then life would be good. And what we forget is that God established this world to work 
his way for his glory and to be able to make life the best that it could possibly be. And whenever we tell him, you know what, the way you want it done, I'm not really sure that's the best way. We've messed the whole thing up for ourselves and for everybody else. And and Paul doesn't leave us there. He says, but God sees us in this place. He can't leave us there. And so he sends his son to die in our place, to, to be a propitiation, to be a payment for us. And now that he's paid for all of our debts, we're now justified. And I don't know if you've ever heard that term before, but it's just as if you never sinned. So you're brought back into relationship with him. You're given everything that you need. And, and it doesn't matter what you do or don't do in the future or what you've done in the past. You're his child now and forevermore. And that is a great, great tooth, truth. And if you would ask most of us, what's the gospel? Like, how does that really work in our world? We would go ahead and we would mention those points as the primary points. The problem is, is that's only chapter four. And if we say that's the gospel, we've left out about half of it because Paul's going to go up to about chapter eight to really give us the rich background of what this good news of being part of God's kingdom is. And this is the point he wants to make in chapters one to four. Yeah, we're jacked. Yeah, we're messed up. But he has forgiven us by his grace. Then he's going to take chapters five to eight and he's going to say, by his grace, he's transforming us. We don't have to stay the people we were. And as we are changed by him, we bring him glory because it's his work. It's his goodness that he's doing in us. And wow, it's hard for people to change. But if God could change us, what a great, good gift. And so in chapter six, he's going to say, you know what? We have been set free from the power of sin and death. And he's going to say it so explicitly in verse six. I love it. Knowing that our old self was crucified with him in that our, in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. I, I don't know if you've ever heard that before. You don't have to sin anymore. He set you free from it. He, he has set you free from sin and from death. What a great, good gift. But Paul also is a realist and he knows that I just messed up this morning and so did you. And so he's going to talk in chapter seven about how we just have this wrestling of like this inner man. It, he's going to get to it in verses 14 to the end of the chapter in chapter seven. He's going to say this inner man wants to do what God wants me to do because his spirit's living in me. But then I also have something in my flesh that is just pushing me in a different direction. Now, in a lot of our translations where you says the word flesh, in some of our translations, it says sin nature. Those Greek words, sin nature, aren't there. The word in Greek is the word sarx, and it literally means flesh. It means body. But it has this connotation in its usage, which is this body, this hand, this eye, this tongue that has been tainted by brokenness. And so this is the picture that Paul's painting for us is that we lived away from God. This is chapter three and there's none righteous. There's nobody who does good. He goes ahead and he places his spirit within us, this spirit that desires to do everything that God wants to do because it's his spirit, but he places it inside of this broken body. 
If that broken body listens and lets the spirit lead it, it will slowly and progressively be transformed and no longer be bound by sin or stuck in sin. But if it repulses the leading of the spirit, then it's going to stay in its habitual patterns of sin and feel like there's no way out of it. And, and that's where Paul's trying to push both the Gentiles and the Jews. And he's saying, Hey, let God's spirit lead your life. Don't let rules lead your life. Don't just ignore it and say, well, God doesn't really care about it. He'll just forgive me for it. Let him be in control. And as he does in chapter 8, in verse 11, this is a really great verse. It says, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What a great problem. This is good news. He is going to transform us. He's going to make us new. Here's the downside of that that he gets to in just a few verses after this if you want to look at it. He says, you know what? He does this through trials and tribulations. And that sucks. That's hard. Nobody wants to hear that. We think, ah, that isn't good news. But in any point in life, no pain, no gain. And and that's the same in just us being the people that we want to be and that God wants us to be. It doesn't happen easily. It's going to mean a lot of saying, I'm sorry. It's going to be a lot of turning around and doing things differently. It's going to be harder in this process than what it was before because we're teaching ourselves how to do the right thing the right way. And when we want to give up and just go, well, let the past be the past. Let's forget about it. I was messed up there. I'll just kind of move on with life. We come to the famous passage in 828 when he says, but God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes in King Jesus. What he wants to paint the picture of is he wants to paint the picture of an artist who goes ahead and takes broken pieces and puts them together in a way that creates this beautiful picture that doesn't deny the brokenness of that piece of glass or that piece of pottery, but now constructs it in a way that brings beauty out of ashes. God is at work doing great things if we don't run away from our sin, but run to him in our sin, letting his spirit progressively and slowly transform us and set us free in every part of our lives from this, from the life of sin and death that he has already by his sacrifice set us free and given us new life in. That is a great promise, but who can he change? Can he change anybody? That that is a is a story that we need to find ourselves in, and I hope you guys can find yourselves in it the way I found myself in it. I was a kid who grew up in a church that they gave me all the rules and they told me, you know what, don't lie, don't uh, don't do bad things, don't listen to rock music. Don't, don't go and I, I don't know all the different rules that you could possibly make up. And they made up more and more on top of that. And I tried to live all those rules because my heart 
is wanting to do my own thing. Not only did I rebel against their rules, I didn't even care what God was trying to say to me. I wasn't even listening for what he was trying to say to me. And so it completely made a mess of my life. And in my early 20s, when I was just like, oh my gosh, how in the world did I get here? I'm just, I'm a sinner. I am messed up. That's when God said, hey, let me set you free. Let, let me change your life completely. I've already paid everything that needs to be paid. I've already done that everything that needs to be done. Accept my gift. I'll give you my spirit. And if my spirit lives in you and you listen to him, then I'll change everything. It's been a hard road. It seems like life got harder and, and more troubles in this process. But there is nothing that I would want more than to have God's spirit working in me and transforming me. My, my family would want nothing more than that because they want a new man. And that is the life that God offers to us. He doesn't just offer us forgiveness by his grace. He offers us transformation by his grace. And all of this is so that we can live to our fullest within his kingdom. And as we live in his kingdom, bring him glory today, tomorrow, and forevermore. How does that process of change work? How, how do we get there? Would probably be a natural question for us. It was apparently for Paul's first listeners, because in chapters 9 to 11, that's where he goes next. <laughs> 